give you a series of um, statements you may have heard before. You may agree with, you may not. First one, the more you try to impress people, the less impressed they'll be. True? Hmm? <laughs> I heard an amen, yeah. <laughs> the only constant is change. The more choices we have, the harder it is to choose. Just come to my house when Meg and I are trying to go out to eat. We're just throwing out choice after choice after choice. If we just said one thing, it would be no problem, right? Oh, man, it's not the truth. The more you learn, the more you realize how little you know. And the more you try to argue with someone, the less likely you are to convince them of your perspective. That's a timely one, isn't it? (laughs) (laughs) Paradoxes. Paradox, a statement that seems self-contradictory, but upon further investigation reveals itself to be true. Paradox, did you know there's a bunch of great paradoxes in the Bible? You know these. To be mature, you must be childlike. To be rich, you must give up everything. To be victorious, you must surrender. To live, you must die. To reach wholeness, you must be dependent. To be first, we must be last. To reach that mountaintop, we have to carry our cross. To be strong, we must be weak. Out of sorrow comes eternal celebration. The tomb is the place where new life begins. The Christian life. It is completely paradoxical to the way of the world. Life in the kingdom is at odds with life in the world. And yet, Christ calls us to be in the world, doesn't he? To combat in this weird paradoxical tension. We know the world is upside down from the way it was intended to be. And he has called us to be his hands and feet to help restore it to what it ought to be. And the heart of this paradoxical Christian life is what Allison, Pastor Allison, I dare say, well done, referred to. It's a gratitude. Gratitude. Gratitude is the heart of this Christian life. Think about it. Once you give your life to Christ, the rest of our lives is a response out of gratitude for God. You see, we, we live a life of gratitude, of giving thanks to God for all he is, all he's done, all he is doing, and not just in the good times, but in all things, in all circumstances. In Christ, we have a joy that transcends all understanding. We have a peace that through the hardest of times endures. We have a hope that endures through every darkness and a grateful heart beating throughout every season of our lives. That is what we are focusing on in light of the season of Thanksgiving to remember and embrace three of these paradoxes of the Christian life, believing they better posture us into living out a life of gratitude and worship. In two weeks, in our Thanksgiving celebration on Sunday, we will have a deeper focus on gratitude that Pastor Curry will bring us. And the next week will be about generosity. But 
today, for week one of our series, The Gratitude Paradox, we begin back in the year, the great year, 2006. Do you know why it was a great year? Huh? I didn't come here in 2006, not quite. I wish, that'd be a long time. I had just finished high school. 2006, it's longer ago than you think. And I just started college, right? So some of you feel kind of like old now, and some of you feel kind of young now, right? And here I am, right in the middle. 2006, I graduated high school. But it's not the only year. Why do we go back to 2006? It was also the year that coined a famous phrase. If you're not first, you're last. If you ain't first, you're last. Yes, said by Ricky Bobby's father, Reese Bobby, in the movie Talladega Nights. Have you heard this line, if you ain't first, you're last? (laughs) Amen. I don't know if that doesn't deserve an amen. (laughs) The next thing I wrote is that is terrible advice. Don't amen that. (laughs) But doesn't this line, if you ain't first, you're last, somehow encapsulate the American cultural viewpoint of so many? To be great, you have to be the greatest. You have to be the best at your job. You're just a little plebe down here until you reach the top, right? The, The wealthiest, you have to be the wealthiest in your family. And of course, especially during leaf season, you need to have the best yard on your block. Not my yard right now, I can tell you that. The social elite, oh, they won't even talk to you if you don't make six figures. The people who make all the decisions for us, right? The powers that be, they won't even acknowledge you unless you make seven figures or it's election season. Hmm? If you ain't first, you're last. Because if you don't win, you lose. And winning is everything. It's sickening, isn't it? I didn't win a lot in sports. And so I don't like this advice. It's sickening. And why is it sickening? Well, It is completely at odds with how God designed us and longs for us to be. It is completely counter to who he is. Not in the fact that he he does win. He is first in all things, right? But this is counter to who he is. Let's look at God's word and let's dig into this. Matthew 16 says, the words of Jesus, starts with one of these paradox statements. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake, we'll find it. And then this line, for what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? If you have everything except Jesus, you've got nothing. But if you have Jesus and nothing else, you have everything. Today's paradox The first, excuse me, the last shall be first. Take that, Ricky Bobby. The last shall be first. This phrase can be found uh, in four places in the gospel. Matthew 19, 30. Matthew 20, 16. Mark 10, 31. And Luke 13, 30. Apologize, I didn't have that on a slide for you, but catch me after, I'll give it to you. This is, we're going to summarize this and then we're going to dig in to some other passages in a minute. Each of these verses, spoken by Jesus, and they cover different territory, but the heart of each message of these passages is the same. And that is this. 
while a person may be first in this life, with honor or wealth or status, or it's a person going through all the right religious motions, none of that translates to being first in, the God, in God's kingdom. Because in God's kingdom, it's not about what we've done for our sake. It is all about what God has done for our sake. Salvation or eternal life is not earned by one's status in life. It's not the first in this life will be first in the next. No, the last shall be first. Jesus doesn't call us to be the best of the best. He tells us and he shows us a different way. So what does that mean? What does, what does the last will be first mean? Let's look to Jesus. Let's keep our eyes focused on Jesus to learn the lowly way, the humble way, the gentle way, for it is the way of Jesus Christ. Let's consider the heart of Jesus. I need some help here. How would you describe the heart of Jesus? Loving, yeah. Compassionate. Gentle, yeah. Forgiving, yes. Humble, yeah. Wise, yeah. One, one more time. Forgiving, yes. Yes, yes absolutely, absolutely. In fact, we could spend all morning really digging into this, right? When we think of the heart of Jesus, Jesus himself even told us his heart. And it's only found in one place. Of all four gospel accounts, of, of, of all those, these red words found in this holy word, in all 89 chapters of the gospels, one place where Jesus tells us about his own heart. Matthew 11, 28 through 30. Hear the words of the Lord. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden. I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. Then what does he say? For I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, my burden is light. Now maybe you're in a place today where that particular verse is truly speaking to you. You're sitting here and you feel a heavy burden. You feel weariness. I'm grateful you're here today because you are not without hope. So allow the word of God to transform you and lift your burden today. What does it mean to be gentle and lowly in heart? The word gentle, let's start there. The Greek word that's translated here as gentle, it's only used four times in total in the New Testament. That's pretty rare usage of this word. It's used in one place you'll recognize in the Beatitudes of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 5. The meek will what? Inherit the earth. Meek. Gentle. Meek. We've talked about this before, that meek in a worldly sense sounds like such a weak, uh, like wimpy word. But biblically, that is, it's anything but. It's a beautiful word. It's a posture that God calls us to. It's a posture that Jesus embraced. 
Elsewhere it's used in Matthew 25 in a prophecy quoting Zechariah 9.9 that Jesus the king is coming to you humble, that's the word, and mounted on a donkey. Gentle, meek, humble. This is a posture of open arms. Praise God that Jesus has a posture of open arms. That is Jesus' heart. It is gentle. It's gentle. As the Old Testament writers would put it, God, you are merciful and gracious. You are slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Jesus is gentle in heart. How, how have you in your life experienced Jesus' gentleness? Think about it. Think about it. Was it one of those moments when you just sat in the, the, that first awareness of the depth of your own sin? And that he loves you still? Was it that time when his, great, his grace met you when you were in the bottom of the pit? Was it in a gentle, gentle whisper when he gave you a word you needed just to take one more step, just to go to bed and wake up one more day, just to do one more thing? Believing he is still with you, he's not done yet with you. Or maybe today is that day you need the reminder that your Savior at his heart is gentle. That he doesn't look at you with hatred in his eyes, but love and mercy and open arms. He is gentle. He's not just gentle. He tells us he's also lowly. It's a weird word, right? Have you ever described yourself as lowly? Probably not. <laughs> no, I, I, we don't use that word a whole lot. He's lowly of heart. This word, it's also often translated as humble. It was used in James 4, 6 in this way, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Same word, just translated differently. Humility is a virtue. It's not simply a lowliness of life. We can be humbled. We can be in a humble state, but it's also a posture of being. It, it, it's how Jesus acted. Just read all of Scripture. Read the Gospels. He's always submitting himself to the Father and the Father's will. He is always serving others. He is always taking the attention off himself. He would be the first to give a hand. He'd be the last one to get his food. If the chicken wings were all out, he'll be okay. I'm glad you laughed, because I'd be mad. Here's what's amazing. The only person to ever walk this earth worthy of being exalted, the only one who could rightly demand everyone bow down before him, is Jesus Christ. He alone is without sin. He is the Son of God. He is the Savior of the world, the King of kings. We know this because of what, what we see in Scripture. Piggybacking off of what you prepared this morning, you had no idea, but I'm all in this verse too, which is beautiful because that's how the Holy Spirit works is it brings everything together. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow 
in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Amen. Jesus is the only one worthy of this worship. Jesus, who in Revelation is described to have eyes that are like flames of fire, whose voice is like the roar of many waters, and who has a sharp two-edged sword coming out of his mouth, whose face is like the sun shining in full strength. But when Jesus pulls back the veil and reveals with his own words the core of who he is, the only one worthy of being exalted says, at my heart, I am gentle and lowly. There's a book called Gentle and Lowly by the Reverend Dr. Dane Ortland that helped frame some of today's message. And I want you to hear this writing from him, this excerpt. Because Jesus says at his heart, he's gentle and lowly. And he says this, when the Bible speaks of the heart, whether Old Testament or new, it's not speaking out of our emotional life only, but it is the central animating center of all we do. The heart, in biblical terms, is not a part of who we are, but the center of who we are. Our heart is what defines and directs us. That's why Solomon tells us, keep the heart with all vigilance, for from it flows the springs of life. The heart drives all we do. It is who we are. Question to ponder for ourselves. In our most honest moments, how would we describe our own hearts? That could be a good exercise for us to do. How, how would we describe our own hearts? But Jesus Christ tells us his heart is gentle and it is lowly. And he tells us this in this passage uh, along with an invitation to come to him. Come to me. All you who are weary and burdened. He invites all of us. Not just us at our best, but what does he say? In your weariness and the burdens of this life, he will welcome you. He, we, we, he alone can give us the rest that our soul craves. Do you know a good way to become weary and burdened quickly? It's to believe if you ain't first, you're last. Right? It's to try and go about this life aiming to be, aiming for the top and to be the best all on your own power. To go, go, go and fight our way through every trial, every struggle, every heartache when Jesus is watching us with compassion in his eyes and in his arms that are open wide asking, why do you struggle alone? Come to me. Learn from me. And even as he is sharing with us his humble heart, he's inviting us into that same posture by yoking ourselves to him. You know this image of the yoke, like an oxen with like the thing that, that yokes another oxen next to him, right? And where one goes, the other goes. And they share the burden. Think about it. To be yoked in its essence is to be lowly. You're not driving, right? No. 
to be yoked, it is also, it's not to just coast. You're still working. You're still laboring. But it's in such a better way. To be under the control and to share the burden with another. See, you don't direct where you go. You follow the one who leads you. To be yoked to Christ is to let the Lord be the Lord of our life. To let him direct, to let him guide, let him do the heavy lifting and trust fully in him. So another point to pause and consider, how are we doing at that lately? How are we doing at letting God take the lead? And allowing him to guide us as we are yoked to him? Have you been fighting your yoke? Have you ever seen a stubborn animal? If you haven't, I have a dog named Henry. He's really stubborn now. When they fight for control, it's not a pleasant sight. To give up control, they then can do what they're meant to do. Same is true for us. Are we fighting for control? Are we, are we taking on more burden than was ever ours to carry? What a gift. What a gift to be gentle and lowly. Jesus' heart is indeed lowly. We return again to the passage shared at the outset of this service. And this is also right before what we had just heard from God's word about God exalting Jesus Christ. This comes immediately before. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross." Do you see it? Do you believe it? This is the love of our Savior on display. This is the beat of his heart. And this is the way that he lives, for this is who he is. And it is who he calls us to be. We saw it when he said that the Son of God came not to be served, but to serve We saw it when he reached out and he touched the leper. We saw it when he befriended the tax collector and the sinner. We saw it when they called him a friend of sinners. When he invites the children to come to him. When he weeps at the, with his friends at their loss. When he washes his disciples' feet. When he offered the bread and the cup. And when he was obedient to the Father's will every single moment of his life. He calls us to that obedience. To follow me, he invites. Learn from me. Be like me. For this is the way of life from the one who is the way, the truth, and the life. Align your heart with mine and yoke yourselves to me. But his self-humbling did not stop at obedience. The apostle adds 
his obedience went to the point of death. Christ's obedience was an all-the-way obedience, a true obedience. He did not obey for a time as long as it was comfortable, as we often are, are want to do. No, he obeyed to the point of death. And if that's not enough, one more phrase puts that exclamation point right on it. Even death on a cross. Of all ends, his end was the cruelest. The Roman cross, the emblem of suffering and shame, it's the one thing now to die. It's another to suffer torture. Another still to be utterly shamed for the public eye as you are tortured to death. Remember this, to humble oneself, it is not to be less than human. Rather, it is pride that is the cancer, pride that corrodes our true dignity. To humble ourselves is to come even closer, step by step, to the bliss and full flourishing for which we are made. To lower ourselves is not to be less. It is to trade in a counterfeit for the real thing, to step more fully into who God made us to be. This is the obedience that we are called to. Not to be first, but to be yoked to the one who is above all things and whose heart remains gentle and lowly still. What an honor! For us to follow Christ in the way of humbling ourselves, of lowering ourselves, of yoking ourselves to Jesus. If we are faithful to following Jesus, life absolutely will humble us. Have you been there? Yeah. If we are faithful to following Jesus, that means we will also humble ourselves, which is really the Spirit doing its work in us. The more we understand Jesus— and his heart, and what he's done, the more quickly we will be willing to humbly fall into his arms again. For the humanity of Christ, in his life, his death, and resurrection, it testifies to one of God's clearest and most memorable promises in all of Scripture, that he humbles the proud and he exalts the humble. So it was with Christ, he humbled himself, and as Philippians 2.9 says, God has highly exalted him. And so too will our God, without exception, exalt those who are his in Christ. Praise God, we don't have to believe if you ain't first, you're last. But instead, we get to live into the wonderful, humbling truth that the last will be first. Today, may our hearts be filled with gratitude for the gentle and lowly heart of his son, Jesus. May we love, may we live, may we lead like him into this beautiful and lowly way. All praise, honor, and glory forever to God. Amen. Will you pray with me? Thank you, Lord, for showing us your heart. Thank you for voicing it, but thank you for being constant. You are the one constant in life, Father.
not change, but you, the unchanging one. What an incredible gift to know you. Father, I pray, we all pray here now, Lord, that you meet us where we are. God, may we hear your open invitation to come to you. For Father, if we're honest, we can proclaim that we are weary and heavily burdened. And God, we long to have that true rest that is found only in you. And God, when we think of the strength that you have to carry the world's burdens, we know that you are capable because you already did it on the cross. You carried the burdens of sin upon yourself. You buried them in the grave and you rose again, showing us your complete power over all things. So we know, we profess, we believe that you can meet us where we are and handle our burdens. May we submit ourselves to you, Lord, and surrender ourselves to you. For that is the lowly way. That is the humble way to proclaim that you are God and we are not. Have your way with us. We yoke ourselves once more to you. Thank you for the depth and greatness of your love. You're worthy of all our praise. So we offer our lives in this place as an offering to you once more. May it be so, God. In Jesus' name, amen.